Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature gallery owner Nicola Vassil. She's an art dealer and curator. Prior to launching her gallery, she was a principal at Concept NV, an art consultancy and curatorial agency that she founded in 2013, which specialized in exhibitions and debate on cultural phenomena. In 2015, Nicola was appointed curatorial director of the Dean Collection and No Commission, a contemporary family art collection and cultural platform developed by Alicia Keys and Kasim Dean. Nicola has organized several exhibitions, including Dream Weavers, an exhibition on surreal times held at UTA Los Angeles in 2019. She co-curated during the 56th Venice Biennale, Edge of Chaos, an exhibition on global crisis framed by feminism and ecology. Niccolo also organized exhibitions at No Commission, London, Berlin, Bronx, Shanghai, and Miami. She was a director at Pace Gallery and Deitch Projects in New York and is a visiting lecturer at Sotheby's Institute of Art. Her contemporary art gallery is committed to discourse that widens the lens of the history and future of art. Its focus is on developing on intergenerational, cross-disciplinary programs of international artists and thinkers. Enjoy this episode featuring gallerist Nicola Vassal. Nicola, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Thank you, Phyllis. It's wonderful to be here with you today. Tell me, when, when did you first discover or recognize your love of the visual arts? Well, I don't think there was one particular moment. I uh, realized looking back that visual culture, if not specifically arts, was something quite baked into my life, you know, in a, in a very inherent way. Being from Jamaica and having grown up there meant I was, you know, steeped in things like carnival, John Canoe, which is a more African form, and then, of course, dance hall, which are rooted in costuming, but in a sense, form the basis of my visual wonder. So from there, I would say it grew and followed different paths and, and mutated according to my curiosity. So have you always leaned towards visual arts? Have you, you know, at any point preferred the uh, performing arts? <laughs> well, I found that uh, earlier in life, my most um, natural talent you know, is writing. And initially I began pursuing that form. However, I found it a quite excruciating process and, you know, the anxiety of mounting word upon word poetically, and then there was the loneliness. So, you know, I was in New York, I was in fashion world, I was, uh, you know, living downtown and uh, modeling part-time and going to NYU 
And around the same time, I ended up helping a friend at a works on paper fair. It dawned on me fairly quickly after uh, that the fine art world was a place I could indulge my love for, not only the visual, but also writing in a different way. And artists, um, many of whom I'd connected with by virtue of, you know, being downtown for many years. And um, then, of course, connecting with a wider community. So shortly thereafter, I switched my course of study to art history and um, then went to work with Jeffrey Deitch. Can you recall the, the first artist that really just knocked you off your feet? Hmm. Well, that's a really hard question um, because I think that would predate my New York life. I, I would say this now we're going back to life in Jamaica. I would say the work of Edna Manley, who is the mother of Michael Manley and the wife of Norman Manley, who was one of the founding fathers of post-colonial Jamaica. And she was uh, basically a modernist sculptor, sculptor. And so her work featured quite heavily. She was also a big proponent of, of, of the arts and education, arts education in Jamaica. And so her work featured prominently uh, publicly on the island. So I would say that would tick that box for me. That's great. That um, She represents a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. So what do you enjoy most about owning a gallery? Owning a gallery, I mean, though there's a lot of responsibility, it is actually quite freeing in the sense that I can rest quite singularly on a vision of my own design, and that begins to kind of offer up tempo and, and structure, right? I'd gotten so used in my um, kind of prior manifestations to, to a bit more of a chaotic model, you know, of assimilating and consolidating viewpoints and traveling incessantly. I mean, I now feel very rooted in my purpose. What do you feel your role? What's, what's your role as a gallerist? Well, um, I think my role as a gallerist is to really kind of locate cultivate uh, and support great artistic talent. And then, of course, to put fresh, exciting, meaningful ideas into the world. And last but not least, to run a strong, successful business. What type of relationship do you like to have with artists? I mean, artists always inspire me to think beyond the thresholds, right? So I love that they push me to be a better thinker and to challenge, you know, normative patterns and uh, taking a chance and, uh, you know, also working with many different types of artists allows for different types of strategy formulation, right? So, you know, you start beginning to realize that there, that there are many avenues to one question. So that also helps with thinking about the world. That there's not just one way to do anything, but there are always multiple paths that one can take. And, and I do love that continuous learning from my artists. I was just going to ask you, how, how do the artists inspire you? Because generally they are kind of mashup of so many interesting things. On the one hand, they have to challenge whatever they had done previously. So they're always really trying to break new ground. And at the same time, you know, they, there is definitely a kind of tussle between the like ego and humility. That dance is always part of what makes artwork ultimately successful. So I really enjoy seeing how they uh, play with those uh, rubrics, so to speak, and what they manifest. So yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, a, it's an endless 
lesson in uh, how to see and be in the world. How do you like working with collectives? Well, I, I, I like to build great relationships and to do very straightforward, transparent business. I would think that in the current environment with this popularity, interest we see in Black figurative work, I would think that working with a lot of the collectors has, has been, uh, may have been a little challenging. I, I don't think it's challenging at all. I think, you know, the basis uh, from which one has to kind of judge and uh, navigate relationships and art that comes forward is to just honor the art that you love and where you are drawn and, you know, what motivates you, what inspires you. And I think, you know, obviously there are many uh, subset issues and uh, kind of criteria, criteria, but ultimately you have to follow what you love, you know, and that truth will always lead you uh, to your freedom in a sense, you know, and, you know, it's all subjective. So what one person thinks does not necessarily match what another one thinks. And therefore, if this is what you're attracted to, and then go there, you know, and I don't think there are any thresholds on who should have access to, to what I do think that obviously one can design better balances. But I do think if, if someone loves something, then, you know, travel that path. What type of art do you love? <laughs> I love a lot of art, but, you know, if I had to kind of go back to the moment that impacted me greatly, I would say that uh, the neoclassical and romantic period really uh, was my, one of my great prompts in my love of art. And um, for many reasons, I had a great professor in, in that course of study and um I also love the, the sort of precision. I love the precision of the neoclassical manner, and I love the melancholy of, of the romantic period. So they're both perfect for me. Nicola, what are you excited about now? Well, in terms of the business, I'm very excited about declaring our program further, you know, sort of really sharing with the world the artists we plan on working with on a longer term basis. and. And then, of course, continued growth in our business. I've attended a few of your openings, and I, I get the impression you're a bit of a, a risk taker. Yeah, that would be so. Um, I think it's just something I've always done. It's, it's not novel for my relationship with the art world. I think I've just always been that kind of person. It's in my DNA. It's in my bloodstream, um, you know, from taking the risk to move to this country at a young age to you know, everything thereafter. And I do it because I think not a lot of, not a lot of other people do. And therefore there is a lot of room for discovery when you take a chance, you know, it's just not a lot of people are populating those spaces. How do you define black art? Well, I think the name says it all. What do you feel is the purpose of art? I think the purpose of art you know, it's really about inspiring, right? About jolting people, whether it's into action or inaction for that matter, uh, to educate, to please, to heal, to motivate and uh, to build. Do you feel the Black Lives Matter movement impacted major art institutions? Yeah, I mean, I think... Of course, the larger uh, social reverberations have caused 
institutions to think more, I would say, mindfully about everything, right? And despite the fact that anything good actually takes time to be generated, uh, I think we'll continue to see strong gains in the conversation, right? From boards to exhibitions to senior and junior staff to education and development. I mean, these kinds of disruptions can't happen in society without them being taken very seriously at the institutional level. And I do believe that that is happening. Do you think trustees can be impactful? Absolutely. Uh, I think that trustees are real arbiters in every sense. I mean, they, in fact, have their fingers on the most important keys that make the art world function, right? So, you know, you're talking about the capital, the intake of ideas, the advancement of any set of ideas, Uh, that speak to them or to their uh, supported institutions at large, Um, access to relationships that can aid institutions exponentially. Uh, So, you know, therefore, I do believe that they can bring about change by uh, tilting any one of those scenarios. And what do you feel is the role of the artist? Ooh, (laughs) well... The artist is the center of it all. The artist is the magician, the the wanderer, the trickster, the, you know, the alchemist. I mean, the artist is what keeps every single entity in our world motivated to strive, to do better, to push forward. The artist is, is, is the center of it all. It's the fulcrum. The artist is the fulcrum. Have you ever thought about if if you weren't in the art world, if you weren't a gallerist, what other um, career you may have chosen? Um, that's a great question. Mm, it may, yeah, possibly writing, you know, despite <laughs> how challenging I generally find it. That might have been a, a very natural pursuit for me. But do you feel you would have leaned towards writing within the art world? Not necessarily, perhaps more like a novelist or something like that. Uh, Or maybe, you know, later life, even during uh, the pandemic, when I thought the world was going to collapse, I thought about, you know, going to academics. Yeah, hard to say. It's so hard to say, given that I've really immersed my life (laughs) into this art world. So what does your collection look like? Um, it is very personal. It's what, the, the things that I love. And um, it is not large, but it's growing. And, and I just pick up the things I love. Do you have art everywhere in your house, like your kitchen and your bathroom? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's still New York City living. So there is, you know, there's not that much space <laughs> anywhere. So, yes, the art uh, takes up everything. Did you ever consider opening a gallery anywhere other than New York City? No, I didn't. That's a short answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) Anyway, so this is our last question, and that is, how do you want to impact the art world? Hmm. Well, I think really by following my instincts, by keeping my head down and putting excellent projects into the world, the work must basically always speak for itself. It's been great having you on my uh, Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I appreciate your time, and it's, uh, it's been delightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. 
For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.